Russian President Vladimir Putin has arrived in China to meet his counterpart. What could Moscow gain? President Putin acting presidential. This will be a way of showing that he is the man in charge. The visit comes on the same day the Russian Duma took the first step in revoking the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. So they're saying for 20 years, 30 years, if the United States can get away with not signing this and ratifying this, then the Russia should not be held to, to different standards as well. And later in the program, Kiev says its special forces struck airfields. Today is Tuesday, October 17th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Miller. Russian President Vladimir Putin arrived in Beijing Tuesday to meet Chinese leader Xi Jinping on the sidelines of China's Belt and Road Forum, aiming to show their, quote, no-limits partnership, even as the Ukraine war rages on. Reuters' Almond Lee is up first. The visit is only Putin's second known trip since the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for him in March over alleged war crimes in Ukraine. He visited Kyrgyzstan earlier this month. The Beijing trip is meant to showcase the close ties between Beijing and Moscow, even as the Ukraine war rages on. The ICC obliges its 123 member states to arrest Putin and transfer him to The Hague for trial if he sets foot on their territory. But neither China nor Kyrgyzstan are ICC members. Xi and Putin last met in March in Moscow, just days after he was slapped with the ICC warrant. There, Xi called Putin his dear friend and invited him to attend the Third Belt and Road Forum. That two-day summit in Beijing began on Tuesday and centers on the Belt and Road Initiative, the grand plan launched by Xi a decade ago that he hopes will build infrastructure and energy networks connecting Asia with Africa and Europe. As the forum's chief guest, Putin is slated to speak after Xi on Wednesday, and the two will sit down for bilateral talks later that day. Beijing and Moscow declared a no-limits partnership in February last year, just before Russia invaded Ukraine. While most Western countries condemned Russia for the offensive, Beijing has defended its ties with Moscow. It insists their relationship does not violate international norms, and China has the right to collaborate with whichever country it chooses. That's Reuters reporter Almond Lee. What may Russia get out of the visit, and what are the implications for the region, especially since China's Xi Jinping did not attend the Russian Economic Forum earlier this year? Now, for that, I called up Texas Christian University political science professor Ralph Carter in Fort Worth. As these events unfold, what kind of things are you looking at and what importance of the visit do you place on it given that Chinese President Xi Jinping did not attend the Russian Economic Forum in Vladivostok earlier this year? In my view, I think the really important thing is what we expect that the Russian people will see. They won't see that Xi Jinping um, uh, perhaps is missing in a photo op or two somewhere along the line. They will see President Putin acting presidential. This will be a way of showing that he is the man in charge, that he uh, has 
lots to do as the president of the Russian Federation and the special military operation in Ukraine is not the only thing on his agenda and he is capable of handling all these matters, keeping all the balls in the air at the same time and is thoroughly in charge. Is there anything that needs to come out of this meeting, either for Xi or for Putin, given that this is Putin's first trip in quite a while outside Russia? I believe that what we're going to find out at some point in the future is that deals were either made or continued. I believe that the Chinese will be seeking more uh, access to Russian petroleum and energy products. I think they're going to be asking for incre increasingly favorable pricing on those products. So Russia will be selling more but earning less per unit, whether barrel or cubic foot of natural gas. I think that's what China wants. Russia wants anything it can get in terms of uh, munitions that will fit Soviet-designed weapons. Uh, it will take anything it can get in the way of Chinese drone technology or access to Chinese manufacturing for drones. And all those sorts of things are not going to be announced at this time because of the obvious negative fallout that would accrue. What else are, are you looking at? Someone who's, who studies Russia, who studies you know the regional geopolitics of of these countries that may not be on the top forethought of our listeners that you can kind of clue in as, as there's reports come about? I guess I'd hearken back to the bad old days of the Cold War and what the criminologists used to do. They would look to see who else is in the photo. So for me, I would want to know who else is in the traveling party with President Putin. Is it Nikolai Petrushev, the head of the Security Council? Is it Dmitry Medvedev, the former president and now hit, um, uh, Secretary of the Security Council? Is it um, Igor Sechin, the head of Rosneft? You know, which key Russian elites slash oligarchs are in the traveling party because one of them might be Putin's successor. And, and, and why do you say that? I mean, given that it was only just a few months ago that there was somewhat of a challenge to Putin's control over Russia. I think Vladimir Putin has been pretty ruthless in maintaining his control. And we saw that with the explosion that blew up uh, Evgeny Prigozhin's aircraft and all the deaths of all the Russian dissidents that we've seen who have tragically fallen out of windows or sipped the wrong tea. The thing that I think is going to happen is we keep getting persistent references to Putin's health. And of course, we can't verify the veracity of any of those reports. So I think the office of president could easily become vacant, not through a palace coup, but through the death of the incumbent. Ralph Carter is a political science professor at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. Russia's parliament took the first step on Tuesday towards revoking ratification of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, blaming what a top lawmaker called the irresponsible attitude of the United States to global security. Parliament's lower house, the Duma, voted 412 to nothing with no abstentions to approve the withdrawal of the ratification in the first of three readings. Russia says the aim is to restore parity with the United States, which has signed but never ratified the 1996 treaty, and that it will not resume testing unless Washington does. So what's the implication for the vote? 
For that, I turn to Augusta University professor and chair of the Masters in Intelligence and Security Studies, Craig Albert. I think they're really trying to demonstrate that in their minds, the United States is no longer the superpower that can get away with doing whatever the United States wants to do. Uh, so Russia is right now a revisionist power. It seeks to bring down the, the power of the United States in the international arena. It seeks to revise the status quo of the international arena. And so they're saying for 20 years, 30 years, if the United States can get away with not signing this and ratifying this, then the, Russia should not be held to, to different standards as well. And since Russia is trying to realign the status quo within the international sphere, this is their first main goal. Their, the strategy of this is to show the United States that it's no longer the superpower that Russia is trying to regain and reposture itself to match the United States. And if the United States can get away with doing it, so with Ru so can Russia. The second point or strategy or tactic of reason why Russia is going to pull out of this treaty is to demonstrate its uh, uh, disgust in its mind at how the world is treating it concerning the war in Ukraine. Uh, so it's going to show if you're going to send, uh, you know, materials, if you're going to send money to Ukraine, you're going to block everything Russia's trying to do, making it harder for Russia to win the war in Ukraine, then we're going to pull out of some of these international agreements as a retaliatory step against the world, against the West mainly, for supporting Ukraine against Russia. And then thirdly, it does open the door, although uh, Vladimir Putin and the Duma said they don't have any plans in the future of doing this, but it does open the door for them to test. And that means that they can test a nuclear weapon anywhere on their territory, including the territory bordering Ukraine. So that, again, kind of ups the ante that they can show a tremendous uh, show of force against the Ukrainians. And if they, let's say, did a, a small tactical nuclear weapon test, somewhere in the region of Ukraine that it claims is its own territory. And we're talking somewhere like that's not populated, right? That's within the traditional notions of a test zone for this type of weapon. It could really turn the war into their favor. So I think if you put these three reasons together, you can see, at least in Putin's rationality and the Duma's rationality, why they're choosing now to pull out of, of this treaty. Go, going back to what you just said, you mentioned that if they were to conduct some kind of test and, you know, in, in a relatively safe zone that's unpopulated in territory that Russia claims but is inherently Ukraine, it could turn the war in their favor. What do you mean by that? I think Ukraine would be forced to negotiate, you know, in fear that Russia is really going to up the ante, you know, possibility to use tactical nuclear weapons in, in the war in Ukraine. And so it would really have the effect, I think, of forcing uh, Vladimir Zelensky into the negotiating table without the, the demands that he already wants, like, you know, all original territory granted back to Ukraine. I think if Putin leaves some kind of nuclear test uh, Zelensky would have to, for the sake of the, the rest of Ukraine, negotiate on Putin's terms there. Because the only alternative is that the West would have to intervene with nuclear force as well. And I don't think that it would be in NATO's interest and certainly not the United States' interest to get into a nuclear test, you know, tit for tat with Russia over the war in Ukraine. And so I think uh, Putin really holds the, the cards for this particular point. Uh, against Ukraine and against the West. Uh, another aspect, Moscow has close ties with Pyongyang, North Korea, as well as Tehran, Iran. 
there's been some discussion uh, about what Iran is doing in terms of enriching uranium, perhaps on the road to developing nuclear weapons. North Korea already has that, and there's been some speculation that perhaps Kim Jong-un would conduct another nuclear test. Should the Duma go ahead, and, and it, by all points, it, it looks like Russia will withdraw from the treaty. Do you see more conversations between Moscow, Pyongyang, and and Tehran about the uh, production of nuclear weapons? That's an interesting point. I'm not sure how the negotiations between those three on the production of nuclear weapons would would unfold because that would carry much more opportunity for the the international community to condemn and sanction even more those three countries that they started to do this. What I do see, though, is more chances that those three parties in particular, including China, uh, so we're talking North Korea, Iran, China, and Russia, to start to form some type of weapons agreements uh, group, uh, some type of uh, new challenger to the international status quo as like a new group of four, for instance, in alignment against the United States. And you can kind of see this also already unfolding with the different statements against Israel and the war in Hamas, you see some type of weird friendship or alliance between these four countries developing. So I think if you add together, you know, the the arms shipments from these countries to Russia, the grain and economic surplus uh, uh, shipments from China to Russia, uh, Iranians shipments of armaments to Russia for the war in Ukraine, and now each of theirs uh, well, in China's case, it's kind of neutral stance on what's going on in Israel, but everybody else condemnation of Israel and kind of a support for Palestine or more support for Hamas, you see some type of alliance forming, which is really concerning. But what they're doing is showing that these four nation states, these four nation states are really coming out in force against the United States as being the dominant actor on the world stage. And it's kind of a culminating motion. So it's kind of scary because you don't know what their next move might be. And we don't know what the conversations between Putin and Xi are going to be about the status of Taiwan, for instance. And with everything flaring up in the Middle East, with the war in Ukraine still waging, uh, this is raging. This is something that we have to be you know, cautious about with China is what are their plans with Taiwan? And can the United States handle uh, supporting Israel, supporting Ukraine and supporting Taiwan right now? So th- this is a very concerning moment for United States' national security and, for, of course, for international security. Craig Albert is a political science professor at Augusta University, as well as the chair of the Master's in Intelligence and Security Studies there. Dr. Albert, thank you very much for your time and your analysis today. Thank you very much. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Miller. A U.S. official says the long-range ballistic missiles sought by Ukraine have been delivered quietly by the United States and are being used on the battlefield against Russia nearly a month after U.S. President Joe Biden promised them to his Ukrainian counterpart. Now I'm joined by VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb, who has the details. So Carla, Pentagon officials as well as Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky have said that they have used attackums on the battlefield. What can you share with us about this latest development? 
That is right. Ukraine has launched attack on missiles at Russian forces. They did this Tuesday. Uh, and this is all because the United States secretly provided a small number of these long-range ballistic missiles to Ukraine in recent days. I just uh, spoke to a U.S. official that said that the attackums that were provided were uh, the shorter range because there is uh, the older version has a maximum range of about 170 kilometers. The newer version of the attackums have a maximum range of a little over 300 kilometers. Right now, Ukraine has the shorter maximum range variant, uh, but they were able to use them. And on the battlefield, it was a surprise to Russia. They did not announce, the U.S. did not announce that it had provided Ukraine with attackums before they used them, and they wanted to give them the element of surprise. Carla, when talking about acronyms with weapon systems, we use quite a bit on the show. Uh, in this particular case, we're talking about attackums, but another system that we've spoken a, a lot about are HIMARS. What's the relationship? Let me break this down. So attackums are short for the Army Tactical Missile System made by Lockheed Martin. And so attackums are the missile itself that goes into the HIMARS. So the high-mobility artillery rocket systems that are already in Ukraine have been using what we call Gimler's rockets. These rockets have a range about of about 90 kilometers. And so now the attackums that they have have a range of about 170 kilometers, almost doubling the range that they can get using those HIMARS systems. Systems. A big deal for Ukraine because they don't have to go up to the front lines anymore to fire deep into Russian-controlled territory. They can actually do some firing from a safe distance back. And if they do choose to go to the front lines, they can get even deeper into Russian-controlled territory, which is something they've been wanting to do for a long time. In fact, President Volodymyr Zelensky has been asking for attackums for more than a year. So they are, I'm sure the Ukrainians are very satisfied that they're finally starting to get this weapon system. Carla Babb is our VOA Pentagon correspondent. Carla, thank you very much for this update. You're welcome. Ukrainian officials also say they've carried out operations attacking airfields in Berdansk and Luhansk. It's something VOA can't independently verify, but I did catch up with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. To learn more. Yes, Steve, you're right. Uh, special operation forces reported about the attacks um, on the airfields in Berdyansk and in Luhansk. They report about certain success of this as a result of these attacks. Particularly, they report about nine helicopters damaged, uh, also an air defense system uh, and the runway damage. So, uh, well, this could be quite uh, a big uh, success if this is uh, if this is what really. Mm, if this is a real result of this attack, uh, at least uh, we have this official confirmation uh, of from the Ukrainian officials on that. So uh, it should be it should be a, really quite a successful operation by the special forces. Uh, also, uh, there are reports as well from the inside of the occupied territories that the detonation of uh, uh, inside of the warehouse was going for quite a long time until until uh, the late morning. Uh, in both Berdyansk and in Luhansk. A additionally, again, we cannot independently verify this information, but Ukrainian special forces report about 
the Russian manpower losses, and um, uh, particularly uh, we're talking about dozens of those killed and wounded. We cannot uh, have more details at this point uh, about the numbers, but um, this is what we have for the moment. I also wanted to touch base on some of the other activities that Ukrainian forces are carrying out throughout the theater of war. There's reports of fighting near Bakhmut, uh, western Zaporizhia, uh, including some other drone and missile strikes uh, conducted by Russian forces in, in western Ukraine. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if we are looking in general uh, at the theater of war, we can definitely say that um, uh, shelling of, of the Ukrainian territory by Russian forces is happening every day. Uh, particularly every night, some areas day and night. Uh, the latest one was happening over the night, and uh, we have reports about uh, six drones that have been destroyed by the, by the Ukrainian air defense and one uh, X-type uh, missile. Uh, and, um, uh, well, th- but this is just the latest. Uh, previously, as well, we, we were hearing such reports about bigger amount of uh, uh, of such of, of drones particularly and missiles uh, and uh, definitely where uh, what's what's um, very pretty much discussed right now inside of the country is uh, the battle around Avdivka, which is in Donetsk region, so it's eastern uh, front line. Uh, Avdivka is uh, is definitely an important and uh, very strategic uh, as well point uh, in that area. Now Ukrainian forces are. Keeping it under control, but Russian forces are are trying to proceed and to uh, get through to Avdivka. So very heavy battles are happening, and this was also confirmed by by President Zelensky himself during one of his uh, well d- during some of his latest uh, speeches to the nation. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, another main uh, part of the front line is uh, Southern Front Line, which is uh, the Parisia region and Kherson region. And I wanted to switch gears just a little bit to something that occurred on Monday, and that was a press conference held by Penny Pritzker, the current U.S. Special Representative for the Economic Recovery of Ukraine. And it's a press conference that you attended, and I was wondering if you could share with our listeners uh, the, the kind of message that the U.S. official was sharing. Yeah, this was a very important trip. Definitely, Ms. Pritzker um, arrived to Ukraine and she said that this she will be arriving more and more and uh, that we will see her again uh, quite soon. Uh, she uh, she told uh, about her current tasks here in Ukraine. I'm so honored to be here and um, not only to see what you've rebuilt, but that you've taken such great care of your team and your community through the uh, donations of tens of thousands of food kits, emergency supplies, water, and more. So thank you for everything that you're doing uh, and have done. And uh, she confirmed that she is currently working with the Ukrainian government to support the opening of the Ukrainian export mar- markets, as well as mobilizing foreign direct investment and boosting economic recovery. She also said that um, she is driving efforts to shape donor priorities through the um, through the country uh, and uh, through different platforms. Uh, as well as um, she confirms that he, she had meetings with top officials, with business uh, heads, with uh, leaders of business a- area in Ukraine. And basically that this would be uh, a very 
as she expects it to be a very productive uh, productive work uh, done. So we will definitely uh, expecting her back. Uh, also, what's important that uh, the location of the press conference that, uh, where it was taken, it's um, the Coca-Cola plant, which is in the Kyiv region. And uh, why it's symbolic is that this plant was under occupation for 24 days uh, back uh, at the beginning of the full-scale Russian invasion. And the plant was uh, quite damaged. And um, at this point, a lot has been already rebuilt as well uh, as uh, the team of Coca-Cola was uh, also demonstrating a lot of support to the community. So basically, we can see how American business uh, well, is actually involved in the uh, not only reconstruction, but also keeping the business going and economy going. We appreciate that update, Anna. Anna Chernikova reports for us from Kiev, Ukraine. Anna, as always, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Steve. And that'll do it for us today. And on behalf of everyone at VOA, we thank you for joining us. For additional updates throughout the day, be sure to visit us online at voanews.com. Until next time, I'm Steve Miller. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Bozette, D.C.